0: Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon, I am Vina Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for all the news, tips, techniques, strategies, etc. to get you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. It is the last Wednesday of the month and that must mean it's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate since I'm sitting in the studio by myself. It's usually, a well Mike's here, but uh, I don't have a guest. There's no guest sitting next to me, which is usually a pretty good sign that it's Q&A day on real life real estate that means that uh this is your day to ask any questions that you have about real estate investing whether that be about buying or selling or managing or financing or whatever is bugging you you can call us at 877 877- 772 9658 here during the program. You can also send us an email by going to askvina.com. That's askvina.com. That is, of course, a website, not an email address. And you can, uh, you can enter, there's a little thing there that says, Ask Vina a question. You push that button and it will give you a form to fill out. And part of that form is, Where are you from? Don't forget about that part. And you can send your questions uh, through the web at AskVena.com. While you're there, also click on the Try Our Free Real Life Real Estate e-letter button that will ask for your email address. And once you have uh, filled that out every week, you will be informed ahead of time about what will... Uh, what will, excuse me, I just got a really interesting question popped up on my screen about what's up coming up on real life, real estate investing. And uh, that is, uh, again, askmina.com. And you don't want to miss that opportunity because you'll also learn about other upcoming opportunities. Now, uh, we've got quite a few questions here prior to the program and uh, we're going to start with those that came in through askvena.com again if you have questions feel free to call 877-772-9658 or send us an email via askvena.com a question from anna in cincinnati and this is a this is an interesting question because it's 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 a little complex it's a little bit more advanced than questions we usually get here on real life real estate If an investor sells his property on a land contract, also known as contract for deed, if you're not from Ohio, where we commonly call them land contracts, and then sells me the land contract as an investment for my self-directed IRA, is my name on the deed? And uh, what Anna is referencing here is uh, the fact that, um, especially in today's sort of non- credit-heavy market, Uh, there's not a lot of money out there, even for people who would have easily qualified to buy a property just four or five years ago. um, Many sellers are now selling their properties and carrying back the financing themselves, meaning instead of you uh, um, going to the bank and getting money from the bank to buy a house, you simply make payments directly to the seller. One of the ways in which that is often done is via what's called a land contract. Now, the difference between a land contract and a more typical mortgage is that when you get a mortgage against the property, what happens is you as the buyer have the deed in your name and the mortgage holder, the bank, has a lien against that deed in the form of the mortgage and note. In a land contract, it's sort of the other way around. The Payments are made uh, to the owner of the property, and when the final payment is made, then the buyer receives the deed to the property. So uh, land contracts are also called contracts for deed, and that is uh, really a more accurate description of what they are because they're a contract by which you make X number of payments and then you receive the deed. So the seller's name remains on that deed until that last payment is made. And Anna's question, which takes it a step further is, what if the investor wanted to sell her the property subject to that existing land contract so in other words what she what she is buying is a property that already has someone in it making payments now if she was being sold a mortgage which is a fairly common thing uh if she if she were to buy a mortgage uh, the, the, the same person stays on the deed. That's the owner of the property. And she would simply, re, re, uh, receive the payment stream. Anna, when you buy a land contract, you kind of have to buy the property with the land contract. So the, uh, cause it's, it's not a, it's not a lien against the title. Okay. It is a contract between the person who's living there and the person whose name is on the title. There are ways. Potentially to buy the payment stream from a land contract without buying the land contract itself, by which I mean buying the property itself. But generally, if if someone sells you a property subject to a land contract, yes, your name is going to be on the title. The person paying on the land contract uh, is unaffected. He still has the same land contract, same balance, same house, same interest rate, same everything. Uh, It's just the owner of record changes. So... Thank you so much for your question, Anna. Uh, you can ask your questions here on Q&A Day at Real Life Real Estate Investing by calling 877-772-9658 or by going to com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vena Jones-Cox. It's question and answer week here on Real Life Real Estate, which means it's sort of an open mic day. Uh, we don't have a topic, it's just all about what do you want to learn today uh, through your questions. You can call us with your questions at 877-772-9658, or you can send them in by going to askvena.com, clicking the button that says Ask Vina a Question, and filling in the response form uh don't want to forget to mention that we still have seats available for our july 21st all day fundamentals of wholesaling class which will be held here at maple knoll village and spring uh, springdale there's, there's also many springs around here springdale in cincinnati ohio uh, you can attend live or online uh, we'll be covering topics like the five steps to doing a wholesale deal how to find buyers for your wholesale deals how to find high equity owners, how to estimate repair costs right, and how to systematize and hire people and build a business that does lots of wholesale deals each and every year. It's a $99 pledge for one person to attend to WMKV, and you can... Uh, find out more about that and sign up by going to wmkvfm.org. Do not forget that uh, you can attend from the comfort of your own home by watching on your computer screen as well. If you're way, way out of town and you can't get into Cincinnati for a day, uh, if you choose that method, we will also be recording the session and uh, you can get the recordings later. So Again, that's wmkvfm.org. It's right on the front page. It says pledge for real life real estates all day wholesale class. So check that out. A question from Anthony in Cincinnati. Is there anything someone could do on their lunch break to build their business if all they have is 45 minutes? If so what would that be? Also, is there anything you can do after normal business hours, like after 8 or 9 p.m. to help build a business? I ask this because the schedule I have working full-time and then some days I get my son after school. He has sports that he plays, but I still want to build my business. Now, Anthony, the first time I read this question over, it, it stopped me in my tracks because I read it to say, you have 45 minutes a day, period. And uh, in rereading it, I think what you're saying is you have this 45 minutes in the middle of the day that you would like to put to use, not that there, not that that's all that there is, right? So um, I'm going to go on that theory, Anthony, because if you are telling me that you have 45 minutes a day plus potentially some time after 8 or 9 p.m., I am going to say you need to find a way to clear some stuff out of your schedule if you're serious about building any kind of business. If what you're saying is, what could I do in 45 minutes each day that would help me to build my business? I would say uh, there's there's quite a few things. I mean, in, in, uh, uh, in, your, in your after hours time, after 8 or 9 p.m., you could certainly uh, do things like go into the public record and find people who are facing foreclosure, or who have inherited a property, or who have um, building orders against their properties. And you could create a list. And then at lunchtime, you could sit outside during the nice days with a postcard that you had created saying, I'd like to talk to you about buying my property. You could sit and address postcards and you can do quite a few of those actually in 45 minutes. Uh, Again, I hope you're not saying that's all the time you have because then the next few days you're going to have a 45-minute window in which to take and return those phone calls. So I hope you also have some weekends and a little bit more in the way of evenings and so on. Uh, You can also, of course, spend that time uh, calling the numbers that you've written down from bandit signs that say, I buy houses, and talking to those folks about what they are buying. If you're going to uh, wholesale, if you're going to be a landlord, you can spend that time finding and talking to contractors to fix up your property, or talking to tenants, Uh, yeah, I mean, 45 minutes a day isn't a whole lot of time, but uh, assuming that's not all you have and what you're looking for is to use it more valuably, uh, anything that can be done on the internet, anything that can be done without you physically going out and looking at a property would probably be a good use of that time. And uh, it's actually a pretty good uh, plan, to spend that time each day doing something with your real estate business because there is definitely something to be said for the momentum of continually working on that even in short periods of time it just keeps it at the front of your mind it keeps you moving forward you know maybe you can't maybe you can't get a whole lot accomplished in 45 minutes but it's more than you know you would have otherwise and you start to add them up, it becomes uh, an hour and a half in two days and three hours in four days, and you get stuff done. A question from Darren in Detroit, Michigan. Hi, Vina. I'm a struggling part-time wholesaler with a job. One of my biggest problems is trying to market on a very small shoestring uh, budget and trying to drive traffic to my website to generate quality leads. If you were in my shoes with no car and a shoestring amount of cash – uh, trying to fire your boss yesterday. Please share your expert advice on what steps you would take immediately to change that course. Uh, that, that, that's an interesting question, Darren, especially the part about no car, because that makes me wonder how you're going to go look at a property if you do get a phone call on it. And that is sort of an important thing to be able to do if you are a wholesaler. You don't want to be calling buyers and saying, uh, yeah, I got this great deal for you. No, I haven't seen it because that's, uh, you know, they're going to want to know what, what what the property needs. And if you don't know the answer to that or the only answer you have is, well, the owner said it needs X, Y, and Z. You're going to have a difficult time even knowing what to put the property under contract for, much less uh, convincing a buyer that it's worth their time to go and see it. Uh, you talk about trying to drive traffic to your website to generate quality leads. You know, that's, uh, that's one way to go. Um, I mean, obviously there are things that you can do to increase the traffic uh, to your website. Uh, I have not found the web to be the best place to generate leads from sellers. I know that, uh, you know, we get, we get a few a week. They don't tend to be any better quality than, leads that we get otherwise and we get many more leads uh, by doing other things other than what is on the web. Uh, In fact, I I might even say that the quality of those is poorer because it is so easy for somebody who's just sort of surfing the web to say, I wonder what they would give me for my house and fill in that form. Uh, Certainly being at the top of the search results would help you uh, to get more of those leads. But uh, it is very, very uh, um, important that you be doing some other things as well. Given the shoestring budget, I would not be making offers on bank-owned properties because those are going to require some earnest money from you. Uh, I would be doing things like looking for vacant, ugly houses and tracking down the owners and calling them. Uh, Again, really, there's no car because that's... um, you know, driving for dollars kind of requires driving, and and that's that's usually the first thing I send people to do because the uh, response rate is so high and And when you see a vacant, ugly house, you know some things about it, like it's vacant and ugly, which make it a good potential wholesale deal, right? Uh, if there's no car, I guess the the website is is what you got, but and uh, I'm no expert on driving more traffic to a website, but uh, really, there's no car. maybe put some focus on on getting one of those because I think that's a pretty important thing for a wholesaler. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. It's question and answer week. Our number here in the studio is 877-772-9658. You can also send us an email by going to askvina.com, as did Jim from Charlotte, North Carolina, who says, If you hold an option on a property for more than one year and then sell the option, does it qualify as a long-term capital gain? Similarly, if one exercises the option and then immediately sells the property, is that a capital gain? Wow, Jim, that, that second question... I think you would need to talk to a tax attorney who could make that argument that that if you bought the property on Monday via exercising an option and then sold it on Tuesday, that you would be able to argue that that was a long-term capital gain and thus subject to a lower tax because... I think that exercising the option is probably going to make the IRS is probably going to say uh, we don't care how long you had the option you bought it on Monday and sold it on Tuesday that's a short-term capital gain or depending on the rest of what your real estate uh, workings look like uh, it might even be ordinary income uh, as to the first question if you hold a property an option on the property and then sell the option. After a year, uh, everything I've heard says that that will be treated as a long-term capital gain because you you sold the same asset that you bought a year earlier. And uh, I believe, and again, always get your own legal accounting and other professional advice, that you probably are going to be able to take the long-term capital gain tax treatment on that one. It's Real Life Real Estate Investing Question and Answer Week. Give us a call with a question at 877-772-9658. Or go to askvena.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It is the last Wednesday of the month, thus being Question and Answer Week. Uh, we are taking your calls at 877-772-9658 or your emails if you go to the askvena.com website. Uh, right now, we're going to go and talk to Mike, who's on line one from Cincinnati. Mike, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hey there. Hi. I I was listening to your your discussion about getting qualified leads. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a graphic designer. Um, I have a business here in Cincinnati that wraps vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've heard, um, and I know from experience that uh, vehicle wraps are a pretty strong advertising tool. Um, and may or may not um, generate some quality leads. I I would assume that people that are looking to move their house are driving around um, and maybe even looking for a solution. Yes, uh, one of the ways in which you will often see people who buy houses trying to reach out to people who might have houses to sell is through things like vehicle wraps and um, the lettering that goes in the windows of the car and the magnetic signs that go on the car and so on uh that's another sort of uh, shotgun marketing technique like um you know if it if it gets somebody's attention and it's the right person on the right day and they're really thinking about uh selling their house yeah you'll get a call right away and or sure. and or i've had people chase me down in parking lots that's always a little scary and you're like pumping gas and somebody comes running across the parking lot at you and you're like what oh my god what did i do and, wait 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 don't leave i've got a house to sell uh so so yeah i mean vehicle wrapping is a is a uh, one of the several alternatives for uh that sort of traveling billboard uh sign now the the questioner uh mentioned that he was on a shoestring budget so sure <laughs> the uh the and and in fact may may not have a car. We were we were still trying to work that part out, uh, but uh, yes, that's. Uh, thank you for the reminder that uh, using your car as a moving billboard is certainly a way to uh, uh, let people know about your house buying business, or I suppose any other kind of business. So thank you very much for your call, Mike. If you have a question for real life, real estate, 877-772-9658. I was told, I was told uh, earlier this week that I say that number too fast and people can't hear it. 877-772-9658 is the number to call, or you can go to askvina.com. A question from Jay in Philadelphia. He says, bandit signs. Effective real estate investor tool or neighborhood scourge? Well, I suppose, Jay, that that depends on if you are a real estate investor or someone who is occupying a neighborhood. Uh, as you know, there is a, a, a an ongoing uh, not just debate, but in some cases legal battle regarding bandit signs, which for those of you who might not be familiar with that term, Are those chloroplast signs that you'll see up on telephone poles, they might say, we buy houses or we stop foreclosure or cash for your house. Or they might say, we buy junk cars. Or they might say, elect Fred for city council. Or they might say, dental insurance, $10 a month. Real estate investors are, of course, not the only folks who use those signs, but they are the people who seem to draw the most fire for using those signs. Um, certain neighborhoods are more up in arms about those than others. certain municipalities are more up in arms about them than others Uh, i did hear a cincinnati city council person say uh, on tv about a month or two ago uh, as he was um, leaving the shooting of a little girl who got caught in the crossfire of uh, some some drug dealers one assumes that we really needed to get rid of all of these bandit signs in Cincinnati because that was the problem with Cincinnati. Uh, Real estate investors in various areas do find them to be an effective way to buy houses. They are illegal almost everywhere. By illegal, I mean you will be fined if you hang them up and then don't take them down when the city tells you to take them down. Uh, Yes, there there are folks who will get very bit out of shape about it very been out of shape they'll tell you that you're going to jail for it they will call you and tell you that they are they are taking down all your signs and that they will not have these signs in their neighborhoods the thing that i that i always question is why are they so upset about real estate bandit signs and not upset about the, the 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 dental insurance and the buying junk cars and the election bandit signs that show up I think there's a feeling amongst uh, some folks out there in the civilian world who really don't understand our business that somehow having real estate investors buy properties in their neighborhoods is a bad thing, when in fact, it's a good thing when real estate investors are buying the properties that homeowners cannot buy because the condition is so bad that no one can live in them and the, the... Homeowners couldn't get financing on them if they wanted to because they have no furnaces, no plumbing, no wiring, etc. So, yes, Jay, effective real estate investor tool and neighborhood scourge. And thank you for your question. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing Question and Answer Week here on Real Life Real Estate Send in your questions by going to com or call one in at 877-772-9658. A question that came in yesterday via the com site. This one is also from Anthony in Cincinnati. Uh, how do you find out what areas are best to drive around and look for houses to wholesale? And the second question is, from your experience, Are most real estate investors self-employed one-person operations or are they a true business with employees? Well, I can tell you, uh, Anthony, the answer to number two is definitely most real estate investors are self-employed people. If you look at the cash flow quadrants, I think that's what you're referencing, Robert Kiyosaki's cash flow quadrants. 99.9% of all real estate investors fall firmly into the S category. They are the center of all their own systems. If they have help to do some things like renovation, uh, it is not employee type help, it is contractor type help, and uh, they still have to oversee all of that stuff. So yes, definitely most small real estate investors, which is to say people investing in small residential properties and wholesaling and retailing are definitely self-employed people, not true businesses. Um, finding out what areas are best to drive around to look for houses to wholesale, uh, I'll tell you that one of the great measures of that, if you're going to drive for dollars is you should, you should be stopping and writing down an address approximately every minute. If you are writing down an address less than every minute, it's taking you five minutes to find a bacon ugly property. You're in a neighborhood that's a little bit too good for what you're trying to achieve. If you are in a neighborhood where you can just get out of your car and stand where you are and just look up and down the street and write down eight addresses without moving, you might be in an area that's a little bit too bad for what you are attempting to accomplish, which is to find vacant, ugly rental properties to wholesale. Um I can tell you that... Driving for dollars is a strategy that's going to typically get you those vacant, ugly rental properties, not vacant, ugly properties that are going to uh, sell to an investor who wants to renovate and resell them. Because when I go into those neighborhoods, when I'm writing down an address every five minutes, I generally find that the resulting properties are about 50% bank owned, and they just don't have a sign in front of them for sale. They're part of the shadow inventory. So yeah, it's in the rental neighborhoods where most people are renters as opposed to homeowners, that that is the best strategy. It's question and answer week on real life real estate investing. number here in the studio is 772-9658. 772-9658. You can also send an email to ask Vina. That's not to com. You go to com. Don't forget while you're there to sign up for our e-letter. Because uh, every week we send out a an article and an announcement. And sometimes there's information in there about other things that are going on. Webinars, upcoming classes, um, different different meetings you can attend if you're a real estate investor. And you're just not getting that information if you are not on. Our email list at asvina dot uh, I was just handed a note, and I'm just going to have to read it because I do not understand it being a person who uh, is not all that uh, uh, literate as to computer things. It says that if you go to real life real mobile dot com realliferealestatemobile.com, you will get an iOS Apple app for your smartphone or tablet to listen to WMKV FM streaming live. So I guess we now have an app. There's an app for that now. It's realliferealestatemobile.com. But when you go there, you apparently get to listen to WMKV all the time streaming live if you would like to do that. So realliferealestatemobile.com. And of course, you can also go to realliferealestateradio.com and become a friend on Facebook. Always uh, looking to build up our number of Facebook likes so that we can beat Bacons out of reach. Maybe we could beat like salami or pancetta. I bet we could get more fans than pancetta on realliferealestateradio.com but i think uh i think bacon at something like i don't know a billion friends at this point might be uh might be a little too far ahead. Um question from let's see that's that's the same question from Darren only it was sent in a week ago but this one starts with i'm at work and i want to listen to the show tonight what's the call in number. I guess i guess it's time to mention again for the folks who might be listening to us on the podcast rather than live, that real-life real estate investing is not a podcast and it is not a webinar. It is not something that's happening online. It's something that's actually happening in the radio world. It is being broadcast over radio waves and being received by those receivers that people call radios here in the Cincinnati area. It just happens that you can listen to it live streaming as well, but you never have to have a telephone to call in to listen to Real life real estate, it is an extremely, extremely um, common misconception because there's so many, there's so many webinars out there and and folks just, especially if you're listening to the podcast, uh, don't get that we are live on Wednesdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at WMKVFM.org or just tune in, if you're on Cincinnati, just tune in your radio to WMKV. Uh, A question from, actually, this is not a question. This is a comment from Anera in Cincinnati. A few weeks back, uh, when we did our question and answer show, uh, we said, uh, you know, questions are fine. Or if you have a comment for new investors, if you have a piece of advice that you could give to new investors, what would that be? And Anera says, I just listened to that podcast, and I have some advice for the new investor. Make sure you have someone knowledgeable setting up some kind of accounting system for you while you are still small. It will make your life much easier and prevent all kinds of future problems. Amen. I don't know how many, uh, how many investors I know that started out small, grew to be pretty big, and could not get a hold of their books mentally. Once they got big, because they grew their bookkeeping system organically, well, I have this one property. And so I'm just going to make up categories, to put things in. And now I've got 50 properties. And I'm still using the same made up categories, which my accountant can't understand, which makes my tax preparation more expensive. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, She adds, also, don't give in to negative people around you or the one in your head that say you can't succeed in real estate. If you're willing to put the education and time into it, it will produce results. You might have to exercise a little patience and not get discouraged. So thank you for that advice to the new investor. Anera. you're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. We need some more questions here on Real Life Real Estate, like right now. So give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send an email via AskVena.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. It is question and answer week and as I warned in our e-letter that went out yesterday to remind everybody it was question and answer week, constant stress causes the brain to atrophy. Sitting here on live radio with no questions to ask causes constant stress. If you want my brain not to be the size of a walnut, you will send in questions to askvina.com or you will call them in at 877-772-9658. have one question here uh, left from Kevin, and he doesn't say where he's from, but it's a 480 area code. So wherever that is, it says... I hope all is well with you. I'm coming to you with one question, and that is How has wholesaling changed in the current economy? I ask because it's Phoenix. Borado is Phoenix. He says, I ask because I'd like to get in the game, but when the bubble burst, I've heard that there aren't that many wholesale deals to be had. At least it seems that way in Phoenix. What do you think, and how should I go about getting into the game? I notice I haven't received emails from you in quite some time. Well, Kevin, you need to get Back on our email list I suspect probably you changed email addresses and once your email bounced a couple of times we took you off the list so you can uh, do that by going to askavina.com. in the meantime uh, we can talk a little bit, bit about wholesaling has changed and a little bit about how it has not changed and I will recommend to you again that you go to wmkvfm.org and perhaps attend the July 21st all-day how-to-wholesale class online, like watch it on your computer, get the recordings afterwards, uh, because that is a whole day on sort of exactly what you are asking here. Uh, How it has not changed. I mean, it's the same process. It's still find ugly properties, get them under contract cheap, sell them to an investor for a little bit more money. That's it. Get paid. So yes, it's it's kind of the same that way. How it is different. Well, um, we're dealing right now with a lot more uh, very motivated sellers that we can't help people who are desperate to get rid of their properties, but they are so over leveraged on them and banks are being so difficult about short sales that we basically have to tell them, "I I want to help you, I absolutely would help you, but your bank is not going to cooperate with me helping you. Uh, Thus, I am afraid you are going to have to go into foreclosure because uh, there's just, there's nothing I can do. Uh, Banks as sellers, and these two thoughts are related, banks as sellers have become a much bigger part of the market. Uh, Many of the properties that we see today that are potential wholesale deals are bank owned properties and they have their own set of rules, requirements, etc. So, uh yeah, um. The kind of sellers we're dealing with has changed. The kind of buyers we're dealing with has changed a little bit. The uh, the, the 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 typical buyer five years ago was a retailer who was going to do fifty deals this year. Today it's more likely to be a part-time real estate investor who has a job and is doing real estate on the side to try and recover some of their some of their four hundred one k. Now, you happen to live in a market, Kevin, that is um, very hot compared to the rest of the country, particularly from an investment standpoint. For about the last two to three years, Phoenix has been uh, a center of -of out-of-country buying of rental properties. Um, Many Canadian buyers, many uh, Chinese buyers uh, have been going into Phoenix and buying up properties for the purpose of holding them for rental, not for fixing them up and reselling them. Of course, they are attempting to buy them cheap, hoping for the uh, prices to recover, which they they eventually will. But Phoenix has more competition than most markets, is what I'm trying to tell you. Um, The selling of turnkey rentals to foreign investors in Phoenix is a huge business. Now, That means there's more people out there looking for the great deals, but it also means there's more buyers out there for the great deals. So what I would say to you is most of what you learned about wholesaling five or six years ago is still going to apply. There's a a few things that are a a little bit different in the details, like who are the buyers and who are the sellers. But if you can find a, a good deal in Phoenix, you are going to have plenty of people to flip it to. It's unbelievable how much foreign foreign investment is going on out there so we uh, appreciate your question and uh, don't listen to the people who say that the bubble caused there to be fewer wholesale deals because that is not the case the uh, bubble caused them there to be more wholesale deals than there were before Uh, Andre in Atlanta says, my question is about the upcoming wholesale seminar. You've mentioned it is available via webinar. Will it be recorded? And if so, will a CD or MP3 file be available for those that pledge? Uh, it won't be on CD, Andre. I know that for sure. And again, this is this is one of those technical things. I'm hiring somebody else to do the recording of this. Uh, is it going to be an MP3 file? I don't think so, because I think MP3 files are sound files. What What's going to happen is you'll be sent a link that will actually show the class. So like, it's going to be on video as well as audio. And you'll be able to go in there and watch it uh, at your leisure. We'll probably break it down into five or six separate segments so that you're not trying to find your way through seven hours of recordings will probably, um, chop it up a bit so that you can, you'll still get the whole thing, but so that they will be more, um, handleable in terms of their length. Uh, so yes, you will, it will be recorded. Uh, it will not be a CD. It will be, you'll, you'll receive a link that says the recordings are now available at such and such a web address and you'll be able to go in there with a password and watch them at your leisure. A uh, question from JC in Las Vegas: Could you please explain the difference between buying a tax lien and buying a tax deed? I'm confused about different rules between the regions. What am I buying, and what are the redemption rights of the tax debtor? Help! <laughs> well, uh, that is a really good question, JC, and I and I I I, I hear a lot of people. Uh, Talk about this that if they are not confused, they are at least not always using the right language to describe what it is that they are buying tax liens and tax deeds are both things that are sold off by a county when taxes become delinquent. You cannot sit in your house and not pay your taxes for years on end and expect nothing to happen to you. Uh, eventually, the county will either sell your property for the back taxes at a, a, something similar to a sheriff sale, or it will sell off the debt, which means uh, the county will get some cash, and now you don't owe the money to the county anymore. You owe it to whoever it is that bought the debt. A tax deed is when you buy the house because of the back taxes a tax lien is when you buy the debt because of the back taxes now which would you rather do it doesn't really matter because you don't get to decide whether you buy a tax lien or a tax deed individual states and counties have made that decision for themselves as to whether they are going to be uh, tax lien or tax deed sellers in some states uh, the 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 law is that all sales of that nature are going to be tax lien sales. In some states, all sales are tax deed sales. In some states like Ohio, it is a mixture. Some counties are tax lien counties. Some counties are tax deed counties. Uh, Confused about the different rules between the regions, Uh, call up the county in the county in which you are proposing to buy one of these things, and say, what am I getting when I buy this? If I come down and bid, what am I getting? And they will tell you it's either a lien or a deed. Uh, people who buy tax liens get interest on those tax liens. It is generally a pretty high rate of interest. Uh, I've seen anything from 10 percent a year to 21 percent a half as the interest on those now that of course presumes that the person who wasn't paying their taxes before now you've bought their debt and now they're going to pay you even though they weren't paying before Um, many times that does not happen and so what what comes to pass after a certain period of time is that you as that lien holder get to go foreclose on the property and yes pay for that foreclosure and take it through the full legal process but uh, in theory getting yourself a property at the end of that for uh, hopefully not too terribly much money. Uh, You asked about redemption rights of the debtors. In most places, there is some sort of a right of redemption, both in tax lien and tax deed sales. What that says is that if you buy the the property or buy the tax lien, the debtor has a certain period of time uh, during which they can, quote, make good. That debt, so even though you bought the tax deed at the at the sale, uh, they may have anywhere from thirty days to in some states two years to simply pay you back the amount of the taxes and get their property back uh, if it's two years, obviously that's a big problem, right? You don't want to sit there on a property for two years, not renovating it and not renting it, uh hoping that uh, somebody will not redeem their tax deed. Uh, I understand it's fairly common for folks in states like that that have long redemption periods to buy the redemption rights from the person who lost the property at the tax deed sale. So uh, what this comes down to is basically finding out what the rules are in the county where you are proposing to do this. What is the right of redemption? Is it a tax lien or tax deed? What's the interest rate? How will the debt or deed be conveyed to you? So... Good luck with that, JC. Uh, You've been listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing. Our show for today is over. We really thank you all for your great questions. We'll be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing.